So today for the sermon, uh, I'm actually going to move in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, and this is sort of all last minute, but I just sort of feel like it's, it's just sort of the Lord's leading, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you took a look at your bulletin and, you, you know, maybe you come in on Sundays and say, oh, what's the sermon going to be about? And you notice the title there, the church, a place of spiritual growth and took note of those passages and figured, oh, that's what we're going to talk about. And as of like a couple hours ago, that was what I was planning on, on talking about. Even this morning, I got up and I do my usual prep and I sort of run through it all, even multiple times, making sure it's sort of all that I prepared over the week is kind of fresh in my mind and, and, and that I'm all ready for Sunday. And as I was preparing that, and, and even after I'd gone through it quite a number of times, you know, this, this theme that, that I was going to tackle of, of the church as a place of spiritual growth, I just sort of had this feeling in my mind and my heart that sort of just kept coming up and it wouldn't go away that this wasn't the, t the sermon, the topic for this Sunday. It will be for next Sunday. So it's not like, oh, it's not important. I'm just going to sort of scrap it and throw it out. We're not going to talk about it. We'll leave that for, for next Sunday. But I just felt God saying, no, you know, it, it's, it's time today to move in a little bit of a different direction. And still we're going to talk about the church as we've been in a series looking at the church and sort of what the church and church life should be and should look like. But we're just going to save the church as a place of spiritual growth for next week. And now we're going to talk about the church as a place that ought to be characterized by love. That we as God's people, as the church, we should in every way be characterized and be living out love in our lives, in our hearts. It's sort of just what we should be. That's a fundamental characteristic of the church, as, as of God's people, that we are to be a people of love. Indeed, God is a God of love, and we are to reflect his character. And I was sort of thinking about this, and in many ways I feel like at any time this is an important topic. This is something that, that we need to talk about. We need to live out, out love, and it's, it's all over the place as we look out at Scripture, and we're going to take a look at Scripture and see that, that this command to live out love as God's people is just sort of it's prevalent in Scripture. It's all over the place. But I feel like especially in the times that we're in, certainly as I think of our world, if I sort of look at the world around us at large, even through all of history, I'd say one of the ways you could sort of describe the world or characterize the world is sort of as filled with hatred. And that's sort of the honest truth. It's a tragic truth, but it's a result of the fall. And through all of history, you see people who've been at odds with one another, whether it's one nation against another or one people group or ethnicity against another, right? And people just filled with hatred and at odds and waging war and just laying devastation, in a sense, all around them. There's just sort of devastation and brokenness that results from, from this hatred. And so you can look at all of human history and say that's just sort of something that plagues mankind as a result of the fall. Hatred is rampant, and it just sort of sows destruction all over the place. But I'd say, especially as of late, it has been on the rise, particularly as I think of our country, our, our culture now, that, that our, our country has ever increasingly become polarized and divided. And I think so often what, what flows out of that is then this, this hatred. You have one side on the one hand and, and another side on the other and at odds and seeing things differently, just different worldviews. And all too often what results is just sort of this bitterness and hatred in it. And it just all too easily takes root. And you have one side hating the other, the other side hating that first side. And I feel like that's in many ways where our country stands. And I think it can be all too easy, even as the church is sort of opposition to the church is growing. Certainly we're living in times where uh, you know, sort of Christian values, the Christian faith, Christian values are sort of being cast aside. That's old. That's irrelevant. We don't believe that stuff. That's sort of the mind of, of, of the culture all around us. And all that stuff is being 
you know, viewed as silly and nonsense and new values are, are what is sort of reigning in our world. And, and Christian values, the Christian faith, Christian truth is being brushed aside. And sort of there are ever increasingly more and more enemies of the church all around. And it's easy to sort of draw the battle lines in a sense. And they're over there and we're over here as the church. And we just, they hate us. And how are we to respond? Well, we all too naturally respond with, with hatred. We know better. I think we sort of know we're still to love them. And we'll talk about that. But I think all too often what can naturally result is just sort of that, that anger and that bitterness and, and just sort of hatred taking root. And I'm not just here preaching this to us as we take a look at, at, at this topic of love and that the church is to be characterized by love. And we're going to, as I said, look at a bunch of scriptures that speak to it. I'm not just here preaching this to you as though... You know, I live it out perfectly. It's just you guys who need to hear this. I'm preaching this to myself. Even this morning, this is sort of like two hours ago, probably roughly around there. It's, you know, well, maybe a little more, you know, two and a half, three hours ago that I was sort of thinking, I'm not sure this is the direction. I think I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit's leading and preach on something else. And then I sort of mentioned it to Liz, and, and her, her sort of thought was like to chuckle, in, in a sense to say like, I think you kind of need to hear this sermon too, Steve. And I think in many ways that's sort of why the Holy Spirit was really laying it on my heart is not just that you all need to hear it and, and the American church and Christians everywhere, but I need to hear this. It's too often, it's, it's often too easy for me to sort of see the enemies of, of Christianity, enemies of God, people standing opposed to him in his way and, and biblical truth, and to sort of, again, draw those battle lines and, and just, you know, be opposed to them. It, it, there's a place for opposition, surely, but to let that then grow to the point of, of hatred beginning to take root. And I don't mean that I go around all the time like, I just hate people. I'm just filled with such hatred. I, I don't mean that, but nonetheless, it, it's all too easy in my own heart to sort of see those enemies of Christ, of Christianity, and let that hatred start to take root and, and fester. And I see it in myself, and I figure I'm probably not the only one who sort of has that happen. Probably that, that happens to you guys as well. And so I sort of felt like now's a great time to really talk about this as we're in times where hatred seems to be on the rise, uh, growing on every side and everyone hating the other. And I think the church needs to be reminded we're to be a people of love, not a people of hate. And so... This is all from the Holy Spirit. I, haven't, I didn't spend all week planning this, so, so be gracious with me if it's not quite as polished of a sermon and perfected. This is sort of like a couple hours of working, even up until, you know, like 10 minutes before the service as I was, you know, in my office and just feeling like the Holy Spirit's laid this on my heart. Uh, even if I haven't taken the whole week to prepare for it, if this is his leading, this is his direction, I, I just need to be faithful to it uh, and, and do that and follow his lead. So let's take a look at this topic of love and the fact that we as followers of Christ, we as the church, we are to be characterized in every way by love. And I want to turn first to the Gospel of John. You can flip there with me. And we're going to look at chapter 13. And this is verses 34 and 35. And it's Jesus speaking here, speaking to the disciples. And here's what he says to them. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. So he tells them to love one another, and certainly the special emphasis here, and this isn't to say it's just for the disciples, it's not for other Christians, just, just for them. No, of course, this is for all Christians. He's saying it specifically at this moment to the disciples, but this is for all followers of Christ. And the special emphasis here, certainly on loving one another within the body of Christ as fellow believers, 
But certainly we can extend this, this command to love to outside of the church, that we are to love those on the outside as well. It's just that here the special emphasis is sort of mutually within the church. But again, we're to love all others, and certainly that's true, and, and that's sort of, you know, sort of caught up in this command as well, as sort of a secondary aspect to it. So love one another, but now he sort of fleshes this out and, and sort of, you know, he doesn't leave it generic that way, but he wants to give them a little bit more of a sense of what this love is to look like. So he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And now he specifies, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And right, if we think about it and pause and say, well, well, how has Christ loved us, right? And the reality is, well, he loved us and that in love, right, he went to a cross, he died on a cross in our place, taking our sin, our place, our sin, our punishment, so that, right, we could be set free from sin. Our sin would be paid for in full through his atoning work on the cross. It's paid for in full. We're forgiven if we repent and believe in him, and we have everlasting life. And he did that for us. He suffered that for us in love. That's the love of Christ, that he was willing to die, take our place, take the wrath of God for us, so that he could pay for our sin in full if only we repent and believe in him, and then we're forgiven and have everlasting life. Right? That's the radical, wondrous, unfathomable, self-sacrificial love of Christ. He gave of himself in the greatest way imaginable in love for us. And then we're told, right, well, hey, Christ says, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. So that's how we're to love one another. It's not sort of some minor type of love where, you know, yeah, we help people out a little bit here and there and have a few warm, fuzzy feelings. No, this is radical love. We're willing, we're willing to follow Christ's example and say, man, I'd even die for you. That's the kind of love that I have for you, this radical self-sacrificial love. We're willing to give and give and give of ourselves for others just out of love for them. That's how we're to love. And then he goes on, verse 35, he says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Right? This should be a, right, a, a clear marker of the Christian. That, that's the reality of it, that, that we live in a world that's filled with hatred, or even as there's still some degree of love, right? Even for those outside of the church, there's sort of a broken version of love where people might still love, you know, your spouse or your kids, but it tends to be sort of this self-centered love where it's just, as long as I have a stake in it, you know, this sort of, it's self-serving, it offers me something, it makes me feel good, then I'll love. That, that sort of tends to be the world's way of loving. That's the way the world operates. But, but still, the world is filled with hatred, or even when it's, it's love, it's sort of the shadow of love, right? We are to, to operate in a very countercultural way, and we are to be filled and exhibit and live out Christ-like love, and it should be so radically different to the way that we live as compared to the rest of the world. They're filled with hatred, or even if there's love, it's sort of a shadow of love where we're, we're filled with true Christ-like love, right? That we should just sort of stick out like a sore thumb. That's what he's saying here. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you really live this out, if you're really loving one another, it's like the world's just going to know, even if they still hate you for it, they're going to know you must be one of those Christians because of the way you all love one another. The way you just exhibit love in, in your life, the way you have love in your heart and live it out day in and day out. You must be one of those Christians because nobody else in the world seems to live that way. It should be this clear marker of the Christian life. And so naturally, I sort of posed the question to myself, well, you know, if you think of here in our country in America, you know, I'm not just saying just Westboro here and New Hope Chapel, but just sort of take the country as a whole and the church as a whole. If you're going to be honest, would you say, yeah, people could probably pick out Christians from a lineup just based on how they live their lives. If they don't know, you know, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but I've seen the lives of all of you people out there. I'm not talking here. I'm just saying if you lined up a bunch of people, 
right? Would, would they really be able to pick the people out and say, yeah, you, I've seen the way you live out love. You must be a Christian, and, and you over there too, but you guys probably not so much. There's a lot of hatred, that sort of thing. I would say probably they wouldn't be able to do that, by and large, in this country. I'd say Christians in America don't live that radically counterculturally. That's just the honest truth. All too often we sort of blend in and look just like the rest of, of, of our country. We look like the rest of the non-Christians all around us. We don't live in this radically countercultural way where we say, they hate, but that's not the way we're going to live. We're going to live out radical Christ-like love. I'd say all too often, we look just like them. And again, that's not to say that's the case for everyone. There are certainly people who might stick out in, in the way that they love, and people could say, yeah, probably you're a Christian, probably you are. But again, as a whole, and in a general way of speaking, I'd say probably that wouldn't be the case for the American church, which is tragic because, right, the way it should be is that we do look so different. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world. We should look entirely different, and the way that we love should be one of those ways in which we are entirely different. But I want to talk a little bit more about the specifics of this love, because if I sort of think for myself, and probably you guys would think rather similarly, there are certain people who are easier to love. You know, maybe if you think of your spouse, or you think of your kids, or, or your friends, or people who are just sort of, they're nicer, you know, they're sort of nice and kind, and it's kind of easy to love those people. But then there are others who are not so easy to love. Again, if we're just going to be honest about it, maybe they're just sort of mean, they're negative all the time, they're just harsh, it's just, they're, they're anything but nice and, and lovable. They, they dislike us, they hate us, and it's just sort of difficult to respond with love and all too easy to respond to their hatred with hatred of our own, right? And I think that's the reality for me, probably the reality for you, that some people are easy to love, but then there are others who aren't. Uh, and Jesus speaks to this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. And here's what he says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? That was sort of the Jewish way of thinking in Jesus' day. To them, it sort of seemed to make sense. You know, well, your neighbor, your fellow Jew, you know, love them. That makes sense. Those who, who do good to you and treat you well, love them. But your enemy, that, oh, that filthy, wicked Gentile or people who treat you poorly, they're your enemies. Well, of course, don't love them. Hate them. That was sort of their way of thinking. And, of course, you know, this is a passage that's probably familiar to us. We know better than that. But I think all too often in our hearts, that's what plays out is sort of, yeah, well, we have our neighbors, those who are sort of easy to love. But then there's sort of those enemies, right? Whether they're personal enemies of ours, they just sort of have it in for us and they dislike us, they hate us. Or maybe it's sort of enemies of the Christian faith who are always trying to squash Christians and oppress them and sort of stand against every Christian value and truth. And it's all too easy to sort of view them as, as enemies and then say, you know, I don't want to love them. We know we should, but, but deep down in our hearts, it's sort of, they're enemies. They're awful. They're terrible. They treat me horribly. And, and the natural response is just sort of, sort of to respond in like kind with, with that dislike and hatred rather than to respond with love. And again, Jesus speaks to this. Yeah, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not an easy thing to do. When people are your enemies, they treat you poorly, right? They hate you because they view you as an enemy, right? It's easy to respond in like kind, but we're told, no, we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for those who persecute us, right? And that's not easy to do. When people are mistreating us, when they hate us, it's not easy to say, I'm going to love you nonetheless. You, you dislike me. You persecute, you, uh, persecute me. You treat me ill in every way, but I'm still going to pray for you. 
I'm still going to pray for the best, that God would work in your heart, that he'd, he'd lead you to, to, to faith, that, he's op- that he would open up your eyes to the truth. I'm going to pray just that good would come upon you and want the best for you. That's not easy to have that mindset and that heart attitude of love, but it's what we're called to. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? Here's what's being said is basically, here's how our father in heaven operates, right? He still loves his enemies. He still loves the wicked who want nothing to do with him, who are in total rebellion, who sort of spit on him. Nonetheless, in love and grace and kindness, what does he do? He still sends the sun and the rain, right, to go and grow the crops and provide a harvest and provide for their needs. That's how he operates. He doesn't just say, oh, only those who are faithful to me, only they'll get sunlight and rain and, and, and all that. And, and it's for the wicked, they'll get nothing and there'll be a famine and they'll all die. There are certainly times where God does punish and punish in certain ways like that. But nonetheless, what's being spoken of here is the reality that God has enemies, right? There are wicked people all around who are enemies of God and yet he loves them nonetheless and still in love and kindness blesses them, right? And even as we think of ourselves, we were enemies of God, steeped in sin and rebellion toward him, right? And yet God persisted in love for us. Christ endured in love for us and, and died for us, even when we were his enemies, right? If he had said, I'm not going to love my enemies, I'm just going to hate them. Well, that would mean us, right? Before we came to know Christ and he'd say, forget it. I'm not going to die for you. I'm not going to pay for your sins. Done. End of story. And then we have no hope, right? But of course, he did love us even when we were his enemies and died for us and made a way for us to be restored, reconciled back to him. And the reality is, if our father in heaven operates that way, that he still loves, endures, and love for his enemies, we're his children. We should follow his lead and reflect his character. And so we should be loving our enemies as well. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he goes on, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? It's sort of like anyone can do that. It's easy to love those who love you, who are nice to you, who are kind to you. Even, even tax collectors, even sort of the wicked of the wicked, even they can do that. And he goes on, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right, so again, I want to emphasize this because I say this is really particularly the area in general, certainly for me, but I think generally where people struggle. It's easy to love those who love us, who treat us kindly, who are sort of our friends, our family. It's a lot tougher to love our enemies. I'd say that's sort of especially where maybe as Christians we miss the mark and sort of this command to love, it sort of breaks down and we fail to live it out. And we need to recognize even those who are, you know, most bitter enemies and they hate us, they think of us in just such horrible ways, we need to recognize they may hate us, but we can't hate them back, but we need to love them. That's what we're called to. And now I want to go on, and, and we're already in the Gospel of John with our first passage, but now I want to turn to 1 John, speaking of love, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, and I'll read it here. And here's what it says. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Right, I want to pause here and sort of recap. In a sense, here's what's being said. God is love. It's fundamental to his character. It's just sort of who he is. In effect, he is the origin of love and in the sense of it's his character. Right, And we as his people are to follow his lead follow his example, reflect his character. And so we are to love. And so that's why it says, dear friends, let us love one another. That's how it starts. 
And then he goes on, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, we have this wondrous example. We see God's love in action. That, that What did he do for us? It says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the wondrous love of God in action, that he sent his son to go and suffer a great horror hanging on a cross, dying there, taking the, our place, the weight of our sin, the weight of the wrath of God for us, so that by grace through faith we might be forgiven and, and have everlasting life. And that's the wondrous love of God, that he sent his son to suffer that for us. And so we have this great example of love for us. And he goes on, dear friends, this is verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, so we have this wondrous example of love and what it looks like. And he says, hey, we got to follow that lead. We got to follow the lead of our heavenly father who sent his son in love to die for us, to, to make a way for us to be reconciled and brought back to him, right? He did that. We have this wondrous example of love. And hey, we got to follow God's lead. Since God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another and follow his example. We are to love in this wondrous, radical, profound, self-sacrificial way, just as God has loved us in that way. And he goes on, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I want to just back up now a chapter in 1 John to chapter 3, where uh, John continues to speak on love, or he talks about it even before chapter 4 that we were uh, looking at just now. And this is 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And here's what he says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Again, John here talking about we have this wondrous example of love, right? Christ himself who laid down his life for us. And he's our Lord, he's our master, he's our God, and we're to follow his example we are to reflect his character, follow his lead. And so he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, right? And if we're honest, it's sort of like, are, are that many of us sort of really ready and willing to do that to say, hey, I'd die for you. I'd die for you. I'd die for you. No questions asked. That's what Christ did for me. I'll lay down my life for you guys. I'll lay down my life for, for fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's just what we're called to do, right? We're to follow Christ's lead and love in this radical, profound way, unfathomably deep way and self-sacrificially that, that we're willing to die even for brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's what he's saying here. And he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Right? In a sense, what he's saying is sort of, you know, if a brother or a sister sees a fellow brother or sister in need, right, you have possessions, you're sort of well off, and you see a brother or sister who's in need, right, in great need, and you sort of don't take pity on them, you don't help them, you don't sort of do anything to help them. John's response, in a sense, is sort of like, do you really even belong to the Lord? Because if you really belong to the Lord, if you are really in Christ, right, well, you're a new creation in him. And that doesn't mean that suddenly we're perfect, but certainly we are a new creation, right? And we have a new heart, and, and, and we, that heart reflects the heart of God, and we are to be filled with love. In a sense, a heart filled with love is sort of the natural result of true saving faith. When we respond to the Lord in true saving faith, we become this new creation with a new heart, uh, new affections, and, and, and certainly uh, part of that is a heart that's filled with love. And so John, in a sense here, is saying, 
if you don't even have love for your brother or sister such that if you have things, you have material possessions, they have nothing, and you see their need and you do nothing to help them out, it's sort of like, do you really belong to the Lord? Because someone who really belongs to the Lord, right, is, is a new creation in Christ and growing in Christ's likeness. That's not how they would operate. A true follower of the Lord would say, I just, I love you, my brother or sister in the Lord. And, and if I have possessions and God's blessed me to be able to be a blessing to others, that's what I'm going to do. And love, I'm just going to give and give and give self-sacrificially to meet your needs. And then here's how he, he closes these few verses. Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Right here's what he's saying. It's not that it's, it's wrong to love with words or speech, but what he's saying is let us not love with words or speech alone. Lo love can't be just a matter of words and then it sort of, it ends there. It's sort of, we say, I love you. And that, that's fine and that's good to say, but if there's really true love for someone, it's going to make itself manifest through actions. It's not just going to stay with words and that's the end of the story where, hey, we tell everyone we love them, but we never really show it in any sort of way. But if we really have love for someone, it's going to result in loving actions on that person's behalf. Again, just even as you back up to the verse before, sort of using that same example, if you really have love for someone and you have material possessions and they're in need, in love, you're just going to take pity on them and say, I just want to help you and give. You're going to act on their behalf and give to meet their needs. That's just sort of what naturally will flow out of that love, that heart attitude of love. What flows out of it is loving actions. And as we think about all of this, the command for, for us to, to love one another, to live out lives of love, that, that the church in every way should be characterized by love, love for one another within the body of Christ, love for those outside, love for not just those who are easy to love, but love for our enemies as well. As we think of all of this, the reality is, if we sort of think of ourselves and say, you're right, Pastor Steve, I, you know, I need to grow in love. I'm not loving everyone the way I should. I don't love my enemies the way I should, or even those I do, uh, I do love and I love well, my spouse, my kids, so forth and so on. It's not a perfect Christ-like love, and I need to grow in that. The reality is we can't grow on our own. I can't just will my heart to change and to suddenly have love for people that I don't currently have love for. Right? If we just sort of try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, I can do this, I can do it on my own, I can change my heart, I can, I, I can start loving people I've never loved before, the reality is we may sort of, in a superficial way, cover it up, our, our lack of love. But in a, in a true, lasting, and profound way, we're not really going to be able to change ourselves. It's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to bring that change within us. And so as we think of this topic of love, how we're to live out love in every way for others, we need to recognize as we see our shortcomings, as we fail to love our, our enemies, as we even fail to love our neighbors and, and, and family and friends and so forth, we need to recognize the Holy Spirit's the one who's going to bring the transformation. I can't try to tackle this on my own. Steve does not have the ability and the power to, stay, to change Steve's own heart. And so as we think about this, we just need to come before the Holy Spirit on our knees and just come before him in prayer and say, Holy Spirit, change me. I see my failures. I see my struggles. I see how I failed to love in a perfect Christ-like manner. I see the, the enemies of mine that I'm not loving, but if I'm honest with myself, I have hatred towards, and that shouldn't be. And Holy Spirit, just bring transformation in my heart. Change my heart. Grow my heart in, in, in regard to Christ-like love that I might live that out faithfully and, and better honor and glorify you and, and just love others as I'm called to and be a blessing to others as I'm, I'm called to. And so as I think of our, our, our application, I'm going to give a specific, sort of a specific challenge, but as I think of general application, it's really this, to understand that we need to live out love. 
right? So we think of what's our takeaway? What's our application as we leave here? What do I want us to leave with it? It's that we need to live out love as we've been called to. But again, we can't do it on our own. I would love to see each and every one of us go home and as soon as we get home, just get on our knees and, and come before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I fail in so many ways to love as you have loved me. I failed to live that out and just change my heart. I want to grow in this regard. I want to love other people as, as you have loved me. I want to grow in that Christ-like love and bring that transformation, Holy Spirit, in my heart. That's our application. Go home, do that. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would bring that transformation in your heart that you might live out in an ever-increasing, greater and greater way, Christ-like love. But I also want to give a sort of a... a specific challenge, sort of very practical. I mean, that's practical to go home and pray as well, but, but especially sort of practical challenge. And it's this, prayerfully pick one person. I mean, you can pick more than one, but at least pick one person and do it prayerfully. Don't just sort of, you know, randomly, whoever first person is that comes to my mind, I'll pick them. But sort of prayerfully, you know, after being in prayer a bit, pick one person this week to show some sort of greater love toward. If you sort of think, you know, it could be anybody. It could be, maybe it's a spouse and it's sort of like, I've been neglectful of my spouse. I haven't done anything special for him or for her to really show my love for, for him or her. And maybe it's, I need to grow in that. And just saying, that's the person I'm going to pick. And I'm going to show my love for, for my spouse in, in sort of an outside of the norm kind of way. And just sort of exhibit that in whatever way. Maybe it's, you know, special date night or buying something or, or whatever it is. Maybe it's, no, I'm going to pick my neighbor who lives up the street. And I just, you know, we used to spend a good bit of time together. But I've just been neglectful and haven't really taken the time to invest in that person's life or care for them or do anything and maybe it's i'm gonna go and bake a pie and, and bring it over or maybe invite that person over for lunch or whatever you know assuming they're okay with you know masks or however you do that and, and whatnot but you know it, it's taking that step to say you know i haven't been loving this person the way I, I should be and to take that practical step to say in in some way this week i'm going to grow in love toward that person and live it out in a greater way or maybe it's somebody who lives nearby an old lady and you know I know we haven't had a lot of snow, but maybe it's, you know, if we do get some snow sometime soon, I'm just going to go and snow blow her, her driveway for her. You know, she can't do that on her own. She's getting older and it's just difficult. And I'm just going to, I've been neglectful in this regard. I haven't loved in that self-sacrificial way. And even when I'm done taking care of my driveway and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I've got to get to work, I'm going to do that extra driveway just in love. And, and I'm just going to do that. You know, whatever it might be, or, or, or maybe there's some coworker and you know that sort of money's been tight for them, or maybe they just got laid off, you know, economically, maybe, you know, because of the pandemic, things have been tough and tight and they got laid off and you know things are, are tight for them financially. Uh, and, and you just say, I know they have needs and, and I'm just, this is something I wouldn't have done before, but I'm going to go above and beyond the norm of what I do and just act in love toward that person above and beyond and, and help them out financially, whatever it might be. Pick somebody, whoever the Lord sort of lays on your heart, pick somebody and, and act in, in sort of an outside of the norm way, loving way toward that person this week. Uh, and I'd love to hear the stories of it too. Feel free to, you know, you don't have to, I'm not sort of putting you on the spot, but if you do it, you live out that application and really, really do this. And, and if you want to share it with me, I'd love to hear those stories. I'm certainly planning on doing it myself as well. But let's just hear the challenge. Let's live it out. Let's grow in love. Certainly, first and foremost, in service to God, just to glorify him. But ultimately, knowing we're just going to be a blessing as well. We're going to be a blessing to one another as we grow in love for one another. As we grow in love for, for the world around us, what a blessing will be to them as well. As we grow in love, right, that's going to be one of those distinguishing marks of the Christian life. 
and will bear witness to Christ as he even speaks of. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's grow in love and, and, and reflect Christ-like love and point people to him and his, his wondrous love for us and what he has done for us in love. So let's be that church that's characterized by love in every way. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love for us. That when we were still your enemies, you came, you died for us. That we might be forgiven, saved, have everlasting life. Thank you for that wondrous, self-sacrificial love. And you call us to that same love toward others. If we're honest, we fail in that regard time and again. Some we love well, but not perfectly, and we need to grow in that love. Others we don't love at all. We have enemies that we view not with love, but if we're honest, with a shred of hatred and reality. Change our hearts, Holy Spirit. Bring transformation. Grow us in Christ-likeness. Grow us in Christ-like love that we might live out this command to love as you have loved us and so glorify you all the more in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.